Welcome back to the Ways to Flourish podcast, where we discuss how to flourish through our challenges and elevate voices across the William & Mary campus. I'm Lindsay Heck. And I'm Eric Garrison. And today we have with us doctoral intern Nicholas Bergonia and doctoral practicum student Madison Smart McCarthy from the Counseling Center. Welcome to both of you. Hello. Thank you. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're very glad that you're here and excited for the information that you're going to be sharing with us today. Uh, We're going to be chatting about sleep and are any of us getting enough of it is the question. um, And how much of it should we have? I know that I am not getting enough. That answers the question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me as well. I'm guilty of that. Actually, the CDC and the National Sleep Foundation recommend about seven to nine hours of sleep on average for an adult, but about a third of individuals claim to only sleep less than seven hours, which can have a significant impact on one's health. So yeah, I guess to answer your question, no, we're on average, most of us are not. (laughs) Yeah. I know some of us recently experimented with an app that tracks a few elements of your well-being and sleep being one of them. And the fun experiment turned into a wake-up call for myself And really being able to bring that awareness of, okay, how does that impact your day? Um, And with everything that's been going on with COVID, how have our sleep patterns changed since we've been in pandemic? Well, they have significantly increased in terms of sleep disturbance and sleep problems. So the National Sleep Foundation actually recognized the increase of about 37% of individuals experiencing some kind of sleep disturbance. And across 13 different countries, which includes our country, the prevalence rate of sleep disturbance goes anywhere from 29 to 42% since the pandemic. And individuals are claiming that it's becoming more and more challenging to set like a targeted bedtime. It's harder to wake up in the morning. And individuals who identify as female, individuals that identify as having a chronic illness, individuals who experience racism, who have an increase in family responsibilities and or are employed, are experiencing much more sleep disturbances since the pandemic than ever before. Just to echo that, it's something we certainly see here at William & Mary among the students. Already a number of these, you know, sleep was bad before the pandemic and Certainly, like the pandemic makes everything worse. Sleep is no exception. And so one of the things kind of like Madison just mentioned is is folks who are already dealing with stress like a chronic illness or discrimination or, you know, other kind of systemic issues. This is like one more thing on top of it that adds stress that then leads to sleep dysfunction. One of the primary causes would be like basic sleep hygiene gets affected like people staying in their rooms all day or or students staying in their dorms. Uh, A lot of students will stay in bed for class. They won't even leave the room sometimes. I I know when the pandemic first started, this was something I was at a different site at the time when it last March, it was a college counseling center at a different campus. And that was like one of the primary things that we saw. One of the first things to go was students just you stay in bed, watch YouTube all day. You don't even get dressed, but then you can't sleep and you, your whole kind of cycle gets thrown off. Um, some, of, some of that has gotten a, a little bit better, but it's still ongoing. It's still far worse than it was before the pandemic. Madison, I've got a, a two-parter of sorts. Okay, so we heard about the different types of uh, sleep disturbances, but what are some specific kinds of sleep disorders? And uh, 
you know, diving even deeper into that, which ones do you think would warrant some sort of intervention? Yeah, good question. There, there are several sleep disorders. Probably the most common ones are going to be like insomnia. So having trouble like falling asleep. Narcolepsy is another one where individuals report feeling very sleepy throughout the day. They may even have brief periods where they kind of drift off. There's going to be also sleep apnea or obstructive sleep disorder, but that's more of a physiological component to that one as well, where usually there's some kind of mechanism preventing the airflow coming in and out. I would say in all of those cases, interventions can be done and should be done to a certain degree, but those interventions look very different. For instance, someone with obstructive sleep apnea may need a sleep mask to help them breathe easier at night. Someone with insomnia may just need to change aspects of their routine, and that may improve some aspect of their sleep. I don't mean to simplify like insomnia as just simply changing your schedule, but it can be small changes like that that can really improve sleep. I would certainly echo that as well. The, the small changes, especially for something like insomnia, which is maybe just to even back up and explain insomnia, I won't give the whole technical definition, but essentially it's an inability to fall asleep, an inability to stay asleep, or, you know, waking up multiple times at night or just simply waking up too early. So, you know, when there's nothing outwardly like an obstruction, like with sleep apnea, wrong. In most cases, the intervention does actually tend not to minimize kind of like what what Madison was saying, because it is a serious thing, but oftentimes it can be solved rather simply by making a lot of behavioral adjustments. And I would say that's something that I've had multiple students here come in. And, And it's one of the easier ones, I would say, if it's just that, sometimes it's more than that and it takes a little longer, but... It it can be a matter of days, honestly, if you can incorporate good sleep hygiene, it'll take effect really quickly and you can start getting some better sleep. Nicholas, you mentioned the disruption of sleep and I'm curious, is it the stress that we experience in our day that's disrupting our evening routines and impacting the rest that we're receiving? Or is it the disruption in rest that's causing us to be stressed about the It depends, but really it's both. A lot of times the stressors in our days like carries over into our sleep and can disrupt sleep, particularly with people, you know, people, if you have trauma or dealing with some sort of systemic trauma that can lead to stuff like nightmares and like being woken up at night. A lot of military veterans will report stuff like that and they'll have to deal with that aspect of sleep. Other times it can, it can be not quite that complex, but still problematic where you know, you're just doing too much, too many tasks, too much work, too much homework, uh, not enough exercise. Diet can be a big factor. It can be simply just bad sleep hygiene. I'd say one of the most common things with college students is you hear like you should get eight hours. There's a difference in getting eight hours from like 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. Like that's like if you got a good eight hour block there, there there can be a qualitative difference in sleeping when it's actually dark versus like staying up all night, then trying to fall asleep at like 6 a.m. and sleeping to like two or three in the afternoon where, you know, you're still getting a lot of hours, but the disruption in like circadian rhythms can be very problematic. So it's not only the sleep, but it's the type of sleep. It's when you sleep. It's, It's those sorts of things. And a lot of factors can start getting into that, such as diet, exercise, 
social media use, even like blue light exposure? It's a complex question. And so the answer naturally is complex as well. But broadly speaking, it's both those things. Madison, Nicholas, this question's for both of you. So our podcast is listened to by faculty, staff, and students. So I was just wondering if you could explain to us why is sleep so important? You know, what's the big deal about sleep when we could just maybe sleep for a few hours, have eight cups of coffee in the morning, and then start our day? So again, what are the advantages of sleep? There's a really cool, some really cool research that's been coming out and not to get into the weeds with it, but essentially why sleep is important is our brains function in many ways like engines or like computers. You hear like the, the sort of uh, mechanical metaphor often for our brains. And like any engine, there's residue, there's garbage, like our brains consume a lot of energy and there can be essentially junk that builds up in the brain. When you sleep, and this is the difference between sleep and just simply being unconscious, such as when you medicated for surgery or something like that. When you actually sleep, there's some research that's starting to suggest that cerebral spinal fluid, like in, that's in our spinal cord, comes up into the brain through uh, ventricles, these large holes that we have in our brains, and it washes all of that garbage out. And that's why like, when you get a good night's rest, you feel like refreshed or whatever. You feel good. You feel ready. It's it's because that garbage is being sucked out and cleaned out. Your brain's like being tuned up essentially. When you don't get that, you feel that's why you feel like you feel like garbage the next day, essentially, because your brain is still filled with the garbage from the day before. It never got taken out. You know, at least from my thoughts, that 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 research has been very informative and in helping understand why what actually goes on in sleep and the function of why it's important. Yeah, just to tack on to what Nick was saying is there there are a couple different theories that have been in existence for a while about why sleep is important. And the two probably most prominent ones that relate to us as humans is that sleep is important because it has restorative properties to it. Nick was kind of alluding to it, it kind of has this wash away process, but also is restoring neural connections in our brain, making like working memory more productive. And then we also have some theories out there to suggest it also improves learning. So it can enhance the learning process. Say, for instance, you were to study and then go right to sleep. There are studies to suggest that that actually would be very effective because it prevents interference and it strengthens what you had just learned while you're sleeping. Not getting enough sleep is obviously going to impact your working memory. Working memory is that kind of like brief storage space in our brain that allows us to like take in information really quickly, manipulate it, and then spit it back out. If we're not getting enough sleep, it's not going to work that way. So it can be really detrimental in that case. Also, not getting enough sleep has been shown to be similar to being under the influence of alcohol, like at a percentage of 0.05 to 0.08. So it's basically operating like you're intoxicated. It also is really challenging to do more quiet activities like read, for instance, or do mundane tasks uh, like washing dishes. It just makes it more error prone throughout the day for you to make mistakes and for like things like that to happen. And any other benefits, especially during the pandemic, that we really need to think about as far as sleep goes? Yeah, there has been some new research to suggest that actually getting adequate amount of sleep will help enhance the impact of getting the vaccine. So that's like brand spanking new research. It also just helps with coping with all of the stress that we have. So it 
again, has that kind of restorative property to it can impact your mood. So if you are dealing with a lot of stressors throughout the day and you're not getting enough sleep, you're just running on fumes at a certain point, which makes it more likely that you're going to have times where you feel very overwhelmed, very stressed, and maybe even have moments where you feel like you want to just break down. So getting a sufficient amount of sleep and good quality sleep is really important during the pandemic. Yeah, I I would echo that. The pandemic, uh, like I mentioned, it's really messed with people's behavior where a lot of a lot of folks, especially students, are isolated more than they otherwise would have been staying in their rooms and staying in their dorms. If sleep can be made a priority to where you're going to bed and waking up at, at a similar time each day, that can sort of function as a base that helps set the rest of the behavior. So if sleep is always at the same time, then exercise, studying, and whatever socialization is going on right now in the pandemic can fall into place. What becomes problematic is that when everything just sort of blends together and becomes like this kind of emptiness where you don't, there is no schedule that we're dealing with with the pandemic. If sleep can be kind of set as a route, you can kind of improve your wellness from there. So we want to get the garbage out. We want to move sleep into the highest priority that it can be. So how can we start to fix our sleep cycle when we have very, very busy lives? Yeah, it's definitely not easy, right? I mean, it's like saying, how how are you going to get back into shape? And the answer is always exercise and a good diet. And you're like, I want a simpler answer. It's it's pretty similar to, to that when it comes to sleep is that you, you do have to make it a priority. It does have to be something that you stick to. But I guess more concrete suggestions are to have moderate exercise daily. And that doesn't have to be something that takes up a, a huge amount of time. In fact, research suggests about 10 minutes of exercise can improve sleep quality. Sticking to a sleep and wake um, schedule where there's no more than like a 45-minute difference between your targeted time that you want to go to bed and when you actually go to bed each day can really improve your mood and can improve just your overall quality of sleep. Of course, avoiding things like caffeine, alcohol, cannabis, or any other substances before sleep are really helpful in that because they can impact the quality of your sleep. And then like Nick has been talking about is this sleep hygiene. So sitting in a quiet, dark room, having it be cooler, not hot, and avoiding getting on things that have bright lights that will emit that light, such as cell phones and laptops and televisions and things like that have shown to actually keep somebody awake. So those are some of the primary tips for for getting better sleep overall. I want to highlight two of those that Madison just mentioned. The blue light exposure is a serious problem. It was before the pandemic, but obviously it's even worse because now it's more screen time. We're 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 on podcast right now on a screen, and and that's okay because it's daytime. But uh, especially at night, I know for myself, I have my uh, like my light filter set on the lowest possible setting, both on my phone and on my laptop. I cut out all all electronics at least an hour before I go to bed. I even keep my phone in a different room past nine o'clock at night. And if there's an emergency, I'll have to find out about it tomorrow. You know, <laughs> like I just, and, and it's made such a difference in the world, uh, in my world, I should say. I think students really struggle staying up, you know, watching Netflix or something or Zoom chatting with their friends. And it can be hard to do that. And then just like, they'll do it in bed. They'll lay in bed. And I have, we have clients report this, you know, they'll be 
zooming on their phone or texting or, you know, anything. And, and I think taking a proactive step to let there be some sort of buffer between this blue light exposure and when you actually try to go to sleep, that helps the brain sort of disconnect when there's not that buffer space, not to get into the weeds, but it messes up that process and that leads to poor sleep. The second, obviously, like, like Madison said, is the diet. I would say caffeine intake on campus is probably, and everywhere, can be especially disruptive. Uh, coffee, Coke, anything like that, especially late at night. And that's one where it can be a few hours even beforehand. And students will tell us all the time, you know, like, you know, I drink Coke every day or I drink coffee every day. The problem is when you add stress, your protective factors go down. So again, you've drank Coke every day of your life, but now there's a pandemic. Now all of a sudden caffeine has more of an influence. It doesn't mean you can't ever have a Coke or something like that, but being aware of how much you're intaking and when you're intaking it uh, could be very important. I'd recommend maybe taking a more conservative approach, not having any caffeine within five hours of when you anticipate going to bed. Okay, so I've got a question for both of you. And this is coming from me as an early bird. You know, I'm more of a lark, not a hummingbird, not a night owl. But we have a lot of students on campus who claim to have that night owl quality. And then they just function better when they're up at late hours and waking up later in the morning. So how can we help someone like that adapt to a more standard sleep and uh, wake pattern? Yeah, it's really challenging. And actually, research suggests that there might be a chronotype, like a genetic piece that defines people who are more of the early bird, as you said, or they're more of the night owl. So that is really hard to change. Some people do, in fact, function better. I think an important piece to remember is the routine aspect of it. So it may not mean that they need to wake up now at 6 a.m. if they're night owls, if that's not a time that they usually operate well and that's not something they usually practice, then starting that routine may not be really efficient for them. Instead, it may be more efficient to just make sure that they go to bed at the same time each day, that they wake up at the same time each day and that they're not oversleeping or undersleeping, especially on like weekends, days that they don't have classes or other priorities. So that's my response, but I am curious what Nick's input is on that. Yeah, I, I want to echo that. During adolescence, there does tend to be like this sort of phase shift where as, as adolescents, there is this tendency to naturally stay up later and want to sleep in more. That's been pretty well documented. And obviously many of our students, especially the undergrads or, or adolescents or still in their early 20s. And so that, that can be a natural tendency. And to some degree, that's normal. And then kind of later in life, it kind of moves back to where you're going to bed a little earlier, waking up a little earlier. I gave that example a second ago of when you sleep, how that's important. I'd say that is important. It's important to kind of be asleep at night. I think there can be flexibility in that. So many students will go to bed maybe at midnight. And as long as they're waking up at eight, that would still fall within the normal spectrum of things. And like Madison said, as long as they're doing that consistently, that's probably okay. I think what's important to note, like Madison said, is not letting it get thrown off, especially on weekends. So like when you're out partying, you stay up till 5 a.m. Like that, it, again, some of that's developmentally normal. Like we're going to have days where we screw up, but it's something to keep an eye on. You know, if, if you don't do days like that, you're not going to have as bad a sleep throughout the week. And so 
for students who can really stick to that sleep schedule, whatever it is, that's the best way to ensure that the sleep is good and that they're getting enough rest and that they're prepared for their studies and other life events. So when they're putting this effort in and if our students still feel like they're struggling, what are some resources that they have available on campus? Well, they can certainly come visit us. We're always happy to speak to them about different things that they're going through, including any sleep disturbances. And Nick, I'm wondering if you have any additional resources available for students that you can think of? Yeah, I, I would say definitely come to the counseling center. It's, it's free for students. If it's sleep, and even if there's more, you know, obviously it's probably never just sleep. Usually there's some other stuff going on. Like come and talk about it. Like let's figure it out. The sleep part alone usually tends to be, I would say, one of the easier things to correct because it's so behaviorally based. But I would say the counseling center is the best resource. Obviously, student health is another good resource. If you're thinking there might be like a a medical cause to it, for instance, maybe you've had like a concussion in the past or maybe have some other sort of neurological condition that you might be thinking might be interfering or you're on a medication that could be influencing sleep. So definitely consider student health as another option. They can also, uh, the other part about student health is they can prescribe sleep aids, which we haven't talked as much about. I'm, I'm of the, uh, the, there is, there's controversy with, uh, you know, sleeping pills and stuff. Uh, they, they can be a good intervention. I would say always try the behavioral stuff first. And maybe that's the, the counselor side of me versus the medical doctor, you know, like, so there might be different opinions, but I would say always try the behavioral stuff first. You don't got to worry about side effects or, you know, anything like that. But for some folks, it might be necessary to try a sleep aid. And so that's another good resource. I was just going to add one uh, off-campus kind of resource, but that you could tap into while you're on campus is researching on the the Sleep Foundation, different aspects about sleep disorders, recommendations for sleep. They even have this really cool feature, which I was like really wishing I would have known about this years ago is that you can even type in the type of bed that would work best for you. So I know that's something that, you know, we don't purchase mattresses very often, but it's just something to keep in mind that that kind of resource has several different suggestions on how to improve sleep. That's great. And I want to ask you all too, if you have a favorite sleep tool or part of your sleep hygiene or routine that really stands out as your favorite. Like Nick, I shut off my phone at a certain time. I don't know if that's necessarily a feature, but that's just something I do. There are sleep schedules that you can kind of just Google, like a sleep calendar, sleep schedule, and it'll pop up. There's one that I've used by Dr. Ellen Frank, and it basically tracks like your ideal sleep time. And then when you actually do it, as well as your mood. And so it can show you kind of correlations between those two things. I've used it for myself to just improve my sleep um, habits, but I've also given it to students on campus when they would report like they had sleep disturbances or were having troubles with those kinds of things. I, I don't know that I necessarily have a favorite tool. I would say something that I've found to be very effective is turning off all of the electronic light exposure at least an hour beforehand and keeping my phone in a separate room, that has led to extreme improvements. The other is, Madison mentioned with sleep hygiene, turning the temperature down. Every single night I have a routine, I drop the temperature by two degrees where my bedroom is. And that has been extremely 
helpful, those, those two little parts. So uh, like Madison said, there's, there's plenty of good apps and, uh, you know, resources online that students can Google and that can be a, a possible resource for them to check out. But I'd say, like I said, those just kind of basic behavior changes, that's really the core of it. I love that you both mentioned the drop in temperature. I mean, it's one of those parts about sleep hygiene that, that most students, faculty, and staff overlook. And quite honestly, sleep hygiene is something we can all be working a little bit better on. So again, I'd like to thank you both very much. Our guests today have been Nicholas Borgonia, Madison Smart McCarthy, and my colleague across the table, Lindsay Heck. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, United Healthcare, for the support of this podcast. Ways to Flourish is produced by Lindsay Heck, Brittany Emmons, Colin Cross, Jenny Hellmandaller, Ben Heath, Daria Moody, and myself, Eric Garrison. 